Welcome back to Line Noise, a podcast about electronic music. I'm Philip Sherburn. And I'm Ben Cardew, and we're decked out in antler ears, reindeer ears, what am I talking about? <laughs> and Tinsel. Yeah, Father Christmas, uh, garish Father Santa Christmas Claus dolls. to you. Well, yeah, if you must, if you must. Because it's nearly the end of the year, nearly Christmas. We have almost made it. Yeah, don't tempt fate, though. <laughs> <laughs> Touch wood. <laughs> Hopefully when you're listening to this, you know, 2018 will be upon you and everything will be good. So... We haven't tempted fate too much. It's uh, It's been a trying year, um, but at least we had electronic music to get us through some of it. Um, I think it's been a phenomenal year for music, really, without even... Uh, I, I, I didn't realize it while it was happening, but in, in the process of putting together my list, I've been looking back at the year, and it's really felt like there's been a, a bounty of great stuff. Ben, what's your two cents here i think it's been a good year but not phenomenal um one thing i found really was when looking back on my favorite sort of records of the year was that a lot of the things i really liked didn't go into any of the uh top 50s or whatever that other people put together um it felt like a year when i was kind of maybe slightly on a different wavelength to other people i mean some of them did but there was some quite a lot that, that didn't figure anywhere which I was quite confused by. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm, I feel like that, that describes my year almost every year, <laughs> so I'm sort of used to it. Um, I mean, what were the... I, I think we know... Well, I've seen your list, you've seen my list. We know it was our number one, and, and it happened to figure in a lot of other people's lists, but maybe before we talk about that, what were some of your sort of favorites that didn't... Uh, that didn't figure anywhere else? Well, one which is not so much of an electronic album... Um, it's kind of guitars and electronics, was Dirty Projectors, their album, which was released in January. I wonder if that counted against it. But that was a brilliant album, an incredible mix of, of songwriting and weird electronic music techniques and um, production and innovative production. And I thought that was going to be nailed on. And it pr- was pretty much nowhere in the end of the year list. Is that the uh, the project that was sort of marred by a, a breakup and... Um one marred inspired by a breakup maybe right but i guess when i say marred i mean didn't his ex-partner go on and she recorded her own album yes and i don't remember all the details there but i remember it being well i think unpleasant. if i if i remember rightly he didn't really tell her that he was going to be doing all of this until the first uh, song was just about to come out and it's really quite biographical um it's not sort of really hiding behind song lyrics it's it's just there you know we met that day at that venue um and you know some kind of quite uh heartfelt but possibly rather snidey lines that kind of thing but the thing was a lot of the reviews made a lot of this a lot of the lyrics um and i thought the lyrics were the fourth or fifth most important thing about it possibly because i don't really care about their their love life i mean uh, I wish the very best for both of them, you know, but, <laughs> you know, I've never been either of them, never likely to. That doesn't particularly, particularly interest me. And I thought when you've got production that great, you know, that brilliantly done, because who, who really in the last 10 years has managed to do electronic production with like rock songs well? Right. A lot of people do it, but it's not really good or they don't have, and it's quite half-heartedly. This was absolutely overboard, you know? It was, like, exaggeratedly strange. And I, I don't know why that got overlooked. I mean, for me, I remember I wrote a review of it 
you know, 12 months ago. And I compared it to Screamadelica. Not that it was quite as good as Screamadelica, but I felt that it almost deserved to be in that uh, that bracket, you know, that category. I guess I wonder if maybe there was a sense uh, when it came time for people to make their lists this year, if, if he was punished a bit for... for I don't know if people felt um, uncomfortable with, with that situation and the way it rolled out. I'm just speculating here. Possibly. It could be. I mean, as I said, I think maybe being released in January um, was against him as well. Um, but whatever reason, it wasn't on those lists. It's interesting you should mention uh, that idea of kind of an indie rock electronic fusion because one of my favorite albums this year um, that was a non-electronic album uh, was... Torres's Three Futures, which is very much kind of an indie rock singer-songwriter record. But the last track on that album, um, To Be Given a Body, to me, I thought was, was I mean, it was, was one of my favorite songs this year. Um, it was very much sort of an ambient song with vocals. And uh, yeah, it, it surprised me a lot because it wasn't, that album wasn't a place, she's a guitarist, she's a singer. Um, there's a lot of sort of guitar fireworks on that record. It was the last record I expected to hear a really atmospheric um, and enveloping ambient song on. And uh, yeah, I, like looking back on the year, I was really kind of excited about that one. And it made me want wonder if what she does next will go even further in that direction. Well, funnily enough, I was just looking at my list um, and this made me think of two further things that are on it. Um, one of which was the Nabiha Iqbal album right which i mean was released in december really late i'm not surprised it wasn't on list but it's a brilliant record really brilliant which combines like new orderish production with shoegazy vocals um and some really classic pop songs and i love that album um and another yeah, you wrote a great review of that well thank you it was it was all down to the album you know? <laughs> um and another one again another album that was in my top five i think but there wasn't on any list was the dungan uh, album remixed by Prince Thomas, which was Dungener, so this Swedish rock band. They did a, a soundtrack to uh, a film, which was all right. And uh, Prince Thomas just made it this sprawling Serge Gansborg esque, funky, downbeat, jazzy, just psychedelic, brilliant album. Another one, but it, yeah. Uh, in in the realm of that sort of like indie electronic fusion, I agree with you. The I think I think the Nabiha Iqbal record was was really fantastic and like retro, but not retro or or not retro, but playing with kind of eighties signifiers and eighties sounds. It's funny because I was I was emailing with her online and I said something about sort of vintage sounds, and I think she was a little taken aback, like she didn't see it that way at all. But to me as a listener, it's and maybe it was filtered through your review, but it's hard not to hear that and think of sort of late 80s early 90s well i really thought of new order it really sounded a lot like uh quite early new order um and the funny thing for me was by adding the shoegazish vocals to new order she, she came up with something quite new you know by using two things that were uh two fairly obvious influences i mean lots of bands are influenced by new order lots of bands are influenced by shoegazing but put them together i don't know i can't think of many other ways of doing that and it sounded like really innovative well someone else who did who kind of looked to the to the 80s i guess and in doing a sort of electronic indie fusion was uh mount kimby who who i've seen turn up on a number of lists um i, I thought that was a really odd and, and interesting record it took me a while to to kind of come around to it um in part because 
I wasn't King. Frankly, King Cruel's voice put me off for quite a long time. Although eventually, it made sense to me. Um, but they really had that kind of like grimy '80s post-punk thing going on, mixed with electronic music. Still popping on the bathroom floor And not for the frost Or what? The mirror thought it saw You got a clearer thought And pulled it straight out You got me jumping from the real safe high I want a fool forever if you ain't By my side I want a fool forever if you ain't in my life I guess been eating away We, we talked about it briefly um, We Played reference to it, made reference to it. What is your number one? What is our number one of the year? Uh, I mean, I think it's got to be Jalen's Black Origami. Absolutely agreed. Yes. Why? Why is it your number one, Ben? Because it took her out of footwork into her own thing. I think she said when we interviewed her a very long time ago. She said this is not going to be a footwork album, and it really wasn't. And it was just so incredibly. Unique. It made me think of those classic uh, albums like Square Pusher and Aphex Twin, where you just be like, oh, she's doing her own thing. And you could pick out the influences, but um, actually she just sounded like Jaylin. And I thought as well, I, I love drums. And that was the most drum-y album of the year. The percussion was everywhere. All these different kinds of percussion. Um, I like Challenge, which was one of my favorite tunes. She brings in this marching band and molds that into like footwork hi-hats and then drops in loads of sort of Indian drums, I think, then back to a marching band. You're thinking, how can you do that? And how can you get away with it? Like, it sounds like so, so, so hard. It sounds like one of those ideas. Well, this is what I always thought of the name, that it was Challenge, that someone had challenged her, right, I bet you can't do this. And she'd gone away and gone, all right, I can, you know. I don't no idea if that's true. Um, but I thought it was just wonderful the way she put together all these very disparate elements. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and with such style as well. And there were so many good tracks. And also, among all of these, there were two incredibly beautiful tracks um, where they hardly had any drums on that. And I think that's really strong. If you've got an album that's dominated by drums, but then there are two tracks where there's hardly any drums and they're among the best. Um it just shows a real range. Yeah, yeah. What, what did you think? Uh, I mean, the, just the complexity of it blew me away immediately. Um, I mean, it's obviously connected to what she was doing before, but but like you say, she, she really moved beyond footwork with this. Um, it was her own signature through and through. Uh, nobody does triplets like she does. Just nobody's kind of programming rhythms with that sort of complexity to them. Um, it's an intense album. I mean, it, it's not the kind of thing... I was always in the mood to put on because you've got to be in the right headspace to really get into that vibe. But um, just in terms of just in terms of sort of the complexity, the accomplishment of it, I, you know, I didn't hear anything else like it this year. I think that's another reason why it reminded me of sort of Aphex and Square Pusher. Not that it sounded like them, but because it had that incredible rhythmic complexity that they specialized in. Um, and in her own way, it was as complex. You know, it wasn't quite as uh, extreme sounding, but it was incredibly complex, the beat she put together. But still funky. I mean, you could dance to it. I only did in my kitchen, but you, <laughs> <laughs> you could. Um, and there's not on the album, but I, I wanted to, to to give a little shout out to collaboration that she did with Zora Jones, another friend of the show, 
um, they did their, I believe it was called Black Matter track that was on... Uh, Visceral Minds Visceral two. Minds 2, the Fractal Fantasy compilation. And that I was just listening to that track the other day and... I get that like nothing hit harder for me this year than that tune. It's so deliciously strange, isn't it? So many I remember your review actually. You said if if I remember rightly, you said I don't know what where to pick a highlight. There's just highlight upon highlight mm-hmm, upon mm-hmm. highlight. Which is a really accurate way of, of looking at it because that's what that's what they did. Like, oh, this bit's great. This bit's great. This bit's great even better. And you could hear both of them in there. It was such a good collaboration. It, the it, It's really ugly. The bass is like very unvarnished and just like blah. <laughs> um, you know, you're so... But then they, then they turn around and they put this like gorgeous kind of chorus phaser flanger effect on it. Um, there's a dub delay and then there's a minute like right before the bass hits or a moment that's just pure silence. There's a like a little bit of dub delay and then just nothing but pure naked silence and then the bass hits again. I mean, the details in that are amazing. Actually, that album, Visceral Minds 2, is one of my favorite albums of the year. There's about four tracks on there that were in my, my tracks of the year. There was that one, of course. Um, there was All Black by Rochelle Xavier Stone, Sinjin Hawk, which is like this, it's almost like a pop tune. Like it's got these beautiful violins, beautiful melody, but also with the incredible complexity they have. Um, Dark Matter, as we mentioned. There's Sinjin Hawk and DJ Slink. There's Raw, which is this incredible sort of danceable uh, tune, you know, kind of the kind of thing that you can just imagine like striding onto the dance floor, raising your arms (laughs) and going, yes, come on now. (laughs) Like almost like, you know, Rocky going into the the ring or something like that. Um, uh, And, oh, there's loads of other great tunes, but it's a really great compilation. I thought they had a really good year, like really, um, obviously the Sinjin album was fantastic. The Visceral Minds compilation was great. Um, they did a lot of touring. I mean, I didn't see them, um, but uh, I sort of saw the, the the response and I saw some of the visuals they were doing, which were incredible. And it seemed like this year was almost the sort of realisation of everything they'd been working on uh, for years. Speaking of facts list, what do you make of their number one? Bad girl. Bad girl. I was not expecting that at all. From Barcelona. I mean, she had a great year. Um, she. It seemed sort of in summer particularly that she was on the verge of a real breakthrough. Um, and she released some really great tracks this year. I didn't expect her to be number one. No. That was no. quite something. No. She, I mean, she played, you know, she played Sonar. A lot of people saw her there. I know she was out in Los Angeles recently playing a party there. Um, I guess she had played in the UK. I mean, obviously people are paying attention, but here, living here in Barcelona, it's hard to get a sense of what people outside of Barcelona think about her or if they think about her at all. Well, because there was a time here, like in summer, where she was everywhere in Barcelona. You know, right. she was playing a lot. She was DJing as well. Um, she, she was in Vogue, España. I mean, like like in the media here, she was everywhere. Right. And I thought almost the culmination of that for me was the, the Sona Festival appearance where she played. I mean, she played a small room, but it was packed. Yeah, yeah. And it felt like a real, 
a real moment. And since then, I know you've interviewed her since then, um, but uh, I've seen less of her. I guess she's working on, on new music. And yeah, when she, w- I, I wouldn't have predicted in a thousand years she'd have topped the fact list, but you know, good on her. You know, another sort of uh, tangentially related to that, but Thay Tangana, C. Tangana, the mm. Madrid kind of trap guy, uh, he got he got a, a mention in Carrie Batan's end of year list in the New Yorker. Did he? Yeah. Wow. She was saying, you know, things that she thought were going to be big for the next year, things that people should check out. And I was kind of amazed to see the New Yorker picking up on Madrileño Trap. Well, he was another one that in summer, he seemed like he was everywhere. Um, he played Sonar as well. Mm-hmm. I saw that. It was, it, was a, it was a pretty wild gig. Yeah. And he was alleged to have signed like the biggest ever recording contract for a Spanish artist, I believe, uh, with Sony. And actually, one thing I thought that when we saw when we saw him, were we together at Sony? Did we see him together? I think we did. Possible. That um, he looked really slick. You know, he had like a really big backdrop yeah. with like video screens. And he looked like a kind of major label, big priority artist. So, um, and I guess, you know, with the su- success of Despacito and all things like that, that there is that space for a kind of Spanish language artist. Well, that was exactly uh, the context that the New Yorker put him in. Actually, was Despacito and 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 the sort of the the Latin trap phenomenon. I mean, Despacito's not trap, but um, yeah. So w- we'll see what happens in 2018. You heard it here second. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> sort of vaguely on on that uh, theme. One of your favorite albums and one of mine actually was DJ Python. That was Ooh, one of those times yeah. when. Um, you, I remember reading the press release, I think it was, and thinking, you what? He's done what? <laughs> Deep reggaeton. Yeah, I was, I was thinking, that doesn't exist. That literally cannot exist. But it's like, well, you think, well, I've got to check this out. And blow me down if he didn't do Deep Reggaeton. Um, and I thought that album was great. It was just like, it worked so well. And it, it was just not obvious at all. It felt really, really natural. Um, really danceable but melodic and a, a great new thing. That you know? was one of the records that I actually I sort of missed when it came out or when I first got it on promo. I, I I kind of quickly spun through it and didn't really give it a lot of attention. And and it was only when it came time to put together my lists here at the end of the year, I was listening back to things, and it just totally. Yeah, I mean, I, I just captivated me. It blew me away. And so that's been my, probably my favorite end of year discovery. That's like, in some ways, my my end of year album that I'm the most excited about because it's the one that I'm still newly infatuated with, that I'm still discovering. Right. And yeah, I mean, I, I love that record. It's such a, it's such a counterintuitive collision of ideas, but at the same time, it makes perfect sense and he pulls it off so nicely. If you were having a New Year's party, would you put it on? Yeah, why not? Yeah, that's actually something I was thinking, because a lot of these records on, on our list, much as I love them, I wouldn't put them on at a party, because they'd be a bit distracting. But that one, I, I I definitely would. And I can imagine people like, oh, what's this? You know, um, and I think that's always a, always a good sign. It's always a good time to have things like that, you know, you can... Let loose on your on your wildest social <laughs> gathering. Not that mine are very wild, but you know, play weird music and your friends will still enjoy it. Exactly, they won't just go home or you know. I uh, I think there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of sort of movement or a lot of creativity in the sort of Caribbean slash Dumbo space this year. Uh, and I'm thinking of two more albums in particular. 
One is Equinox. Right. Um, a Jamaican dancehall reggae collective um, put out an album on Dem Dyke Stair's label, their second album for Dem Dyke Stair. Sounds nothing like Dem Dyke Stair. Sounds like um, late 90s, early 2000s, very minimalist digital dance hall in the vein of like uh, Lenky's Diwali Rhythm or something like that, except made entirely with found sounds and eagle screeches and um, pots and pans percussion and whoopee cushions and leaf blowers. And it's very strange and very surreal and and phenomenal. I mean, I, I've been listening to that a lot on my uh, on headphones while I walk around the city, and it's such a good kind of public transport urban album uh, to just like pour into your ears and get lost in the city. Uh, and the other album that's very different, but also uses almost exclusively Dembo structures, is Aerosmith's album, right? Which is techno, very fast techno, but all of it's like, yeah, Dembo and some clave patterns. So we're talking of Aerosmith. Uh, we we had his we had his track on on the last uh, podcast, and we were speculating if it was the kind of thing that would endure, um, or if it would send you a bit mad after a while. Uh, has it sent you mad or has it endured? Oh, no, it's totally endured. I mean, if it sent me a little mad, you know, only in the best <laughs> ways. Um, so while you have been feeling the influence of the Caribbean, um, I, this year has been marked by a lot of Russian music oh. for me. Um, it was a funny one because rewind, say, 15 months, 16 months, and my interest in Nina Kravitz and her trip label was was fairly minimal, um, which is nothing against her, or it just it hadn't really filtered through my radar. I'd heard her sort of earlier stuff, um, and then she released her Fabric Mix CD, and I loved it. I absolutely adored it, and um, it was sort of like the start of of uh, can I say a journey? Yeah, sure. It was like the start of a journey for me because then. That was, that was like 35 tracks, and it was a really long album, really good. And then she started to release on Trip a lot of the uh, artists that had contributed to that mix. So uh, there was PTU, who um, are this Russian duo, uh, apparently working on very lo-fi equipment. They released um, a mini album called A Broken Clock Is Right Twice A Day, which is just fantastic. I would recommend anyone to go and listen to it. It's like... The tracks are really short, but they pack so many ideas in. You know, like, there's more ideas in one of their two-minute tracks than there is in, like, most 16-minute, you know, <laughs> epics. So many ideas. Um, and it just sounds slightly weird. Like, they have either grown up with different influences or kind of the same ones and, and interpreted them in a different in different ways there's like found sounds there's like rave noises there's bits that sound like Aphex Twin there's bits that are very melodic um, and that was a great start to the year um, and later something possibly we're going to be uh, talking about later they, well they, they released um, Species of Fishes Trip Trap which was also on uh, the uh, Nina Kravitz mix which is like this Russian electronica duo from the 90s who are pretty much unheard of outside of Russia um, there was a Nina Kravitz tune, uh, one of the tunes off the mix, which which was really good as well. Um, and there was Roma Zuckerman, just uh, in December, who is another Russian producer, released an EP. And it just seems like almost everything that label has been doing, I mean, it's had a few releases, not many, but everything has been really, really strong. And it's really interesting just to hear a new 
kind of sound. I mean, I've never been to Russia. I don't really know what it's like. But for me, it kind of sounds Russian. Coming, from, you know, even from this, uh, I'll, I'll admit that it, it's a position of ignorance because I've never been there. But I can just imagine it sounding Russian. There's something quite cold and and strange and quite alien about it, but with a lot of soul. I get the sense that there's a lot happening in in Russia and, and Ukraine and in the East, generally speaking, uh, in terms of sort of the, the club and the rave scene. I get the sense that it's quite a young public. Um, yeah. I think it's a lot of kids almost. I get the sense that it's very underground because it's not like it's not like Western Europe where clubbing and I mean where it's almost like state sponsor. You know what I mean? I yeah, mean like yeah. Sonar you know, Adekolau, the Barcelona mayor, was at Sonar <laughs> this year. This is you know, they, they operate um with the support of 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 business, of the state, of everything. And whereas in in the East you you read about like these clubs getting busted, you know, you see videos of police like beating up kids at at clubs and shaking them down. I mean, it seems quite uh, different from our experience of things, and and I feel like you can hear that reflected in the music, which is quite raw and urgent, and um, yeah, like they're they're kind of they're making things up for themselves. Exactly, and one one of the things that really struck me about Roma Zuckerman is is reading his his biography that he basically grew up. Um, doing a lot of, you know, interesting computers and this kind of thing, doing a lot of things by himself, like making things, making instruments and sounds by himself, which I'm guessing was out of, you know, necessity. And, like, uh, it'd be a very good example in that case of, like, necessity breeding invention, basically. I listened to the Roma Zuckerman track today uh, for the first time, and it and it struck me as very, very strange. Uh, yeah. It, it sounded, I actually, like like hit the stop button because I thought there were two different tracks. I thought I had like a browser window open going on. There were like two competing drum lines in that. Well, the opening track on the EP, uh, which is called, uh, what is it called? Remind me. It's called So What? Brackets, I Feel Dirty. Um, <laughs> what a Don't we all. <laughs> it's a great name, isn't it? Um, it, it starts, it, it's one of those tracks that, that, that it starts and you think you know where the beat is and then the beat actually comes in just a fraction after it. And that is really disorientating. I love that. I really love it. Particularly as the first track because it's like, oh, I know where this is going. And it's like, oh, no, I don't. I have no idea where it's going. <laughs> and you have to sort of like accustom yourself to that. And you're like, but it just it just sets you off. It's like, well, I know this is going to be a little bit strange. Right, I, think, right. I think I can go with that, you know. I mean, I, I would be terrified ever to DJ that in a DJ setting because a, how do you mix that? Like, what you know? How do you mix that? Yeah. And B, everybody's gonna be like, oh, look at him train wrecking. It's like, no, no, it's just a record. I swear. Come around here, listen to the record. Then we'll go back and, and do this. Yeah. Let's play a little bit of the Roma Zuckerman, and I swear it's just one song playing. headphone record of the year was uh, the Equinox record. Ben, what, what did you listen to when you were walking around the city? Well, something very different, but sort of equally 
uh, appropriate, I feel. Um, a lot of this year, uh, particularly summer and, and early autumn, I found myself listening to house music from Barcelona that felt really Mediterranean. Um, and in particular, a couple of records by uh, Saul Polaire. Um, he put out an EP, and the lead track of that, at Questra, is a fabulously Mediterranean sound. I remember listening to it in, I think it was June I was listening to it, and it just it just smell you could smell the salt on it, <laughs> it you know there was the sound of bells that it's very hard to say exactly why it's so mediterranean i guess it's kind of quite tuneful quite drifty but with a big beat underneath it and it just really really reminded me of of barcelona basically that particularly the the song starts and you can hear these bells in in the background it really reminds me of waking up from a siesta and you know bells are ringing like in the <laughs> distance which i find i really associate with barcelona that's funny. I've never lived in a part of Barcelona where you can really hear bells anywhere. I, uh, yeah, I used to live on a street that was very near a church. And, um, you know, occasionally you'd wake up and there'd be bells ringing. I, I, yeah, I yeah. always quite liked it. And it, it was interesting. They, uh, he then hooked up with another friend of the podcast, mm-hmm. Deborah Vianne, for uh, a 12-inch later in the year. And they've got a track called La Mer, which is, again, another really beautiful piece of drifting house music and just imagine yourself out on the mediterranean sea you know in a boat and it's hot <laughs> and um and i really like music that reflects where it comes from mm-hmm. you know i mean sometimes people you know do totally the opposite and that's great as well but sometimes i just like something which is like oh yeah this is barcelona this really 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 is barcelona maybe if you're not living in barcelona you won't like it as much um but I, I also, I quite like the idea that, you know, someone went to Barcelona for their holiday and they heard this track and then when they're back in like Huddersfield, you know, in December, <laughs> they're like, oh God, I'm going to put this on. They're transported back. But the really funny thing, particularly about the collaborative EP, was it was released, uh, or I got hold of it certainly, round about the time when all the independence process and demonstrations and helicopters flying all around. And... Barcelona was quite a stressful place at that time, as I'm sure you would agree. And it was really nice to put on the headphones and just be transported to this rather <laughs> more peaceful place. It was still Barcelona, but it was like, ah, the nice bits, you know. <laughs> it was just a little escapism. Exactly. Yeah. Sometimes that's what you need. Um, well, we still have a lot left to talk about uh, about 2017. Uh, but I think maybe we should save that for part two. What, what should, we, should we play it out with a song? Yeah, why don't we leave people with a little... Should we leave them with uh, La Mer? Let's do it. From uh, Sao Poler and Pedro, Pedro Vian. Uh, we'll let you uh, drift away on the Balearic Barcelona vibes. And uh, we'll catch you in part two of our 2017 recap. See you. Thank you.